Okay, so we'll start with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam Om Namo Sitanam Om Namo Ayadiyanam Om Namo Vajayanam Namo Lue Savasahunam Esu Panchanamo Karo Sava Pava Panasano Mangala Lancha Savasim Paramam Have Mangalam Paramam Have Mangalam Okay, so thank you everybody for attending today. I think that you're going to get a lot out of this class because it's a lot of things that we don't know and uh, I didn't know before I started researching for this class. So since we're all spending more time at home, today we're going to talk about Jain rituals or pujas so you can begin to do them at home. So who remembers the importance of rituals or pujas? So a puja with sandalwood paste, puja with flowers and sweets, uh, those kinds of puja with incense, those types. That's right. That's exactly right. At At its essence, puja is a mindfulness technique. That is, puja is the physical manifestation of prayer that's easier to do than just mental prayer because the physical movements prevent our mind from wandering. So puja allows us to do prayer for an hour, while I bet most of us could not sit down and pray or meditate for an hour without our mind becoming lost in irrelevant thoughts and unable to return to what we were thinking about. So in case anyone was wondering about the benefits of puja, The benefit, it allows us to double or triple or even increase by a factor of 10 the amount of samvar we can do. So who remembers what samvar is? Is it doing good stuff to reduce our karma? Samvar is the blocking of karma, so reducing our karma, that's right. So uh, it's doing, performing actions that block the karma that binds to our soul. So what I'm telling you is, is that you absolutely need puja in your life. Because if for some reason you haven't gotten into it, or heaven forbid you look down on it, or look down on the people that do puja, you need it because it supercharges your ability to do samvar. So let's talk about the different types of puja. So the first one we'll talk about is dravya puja. And this is a puja where we offer various types of materials, we recite various sutras, and we reflect spiritually while we perform the actions. So here's the thing. All of your mind, your speech, and your body or actions are activated when you do this puja. If you just sit down and pray, well, only one of the things is activated. Um, So this activates all three. And so remember, remember how I told 
um, how we discussed in the prayer class that, well, we always need to say prayer out loud because it we then when, when we say it out loud, we hear it in our ears and that makes it more real. Well, performing puja is even more real because you're performing actions associated with it. Now, when we offer something, it's not a quid pro quo. We're not offering something to, let's say, the idol of a Tirthankar with the expectation of desiring something specific in return. It's not that kind of an offering. We're offering something to strengthen our devotion. And what we offer symbolizes what we're supposed to think about when we do the puja. That is, remember, it's a mindfulness technique. So when we see what we're offering or when we hear it, then we're supposed to think about those symbols. And that's a majority of what we're going to discuss today is that symbolism. Because I think a lot of people don't know. And I think the people that do know forget it because they perform the puja so fast that there's no way they can be thinking about the symbols of the puja. And that's the whole point of the puja. So there are two categories of dravya puja. Anga puja, which is anointing the different parts of the idol of a Tirthankar with water, sandalwood, and flowers while reciting a sutra. And then there's agra puja, which is placing an incense stick, a lamp, rice, fruit, or sweets in front of the idols while reciting the sutras. So we'll go through each of those. Um, there's another type, bhava puja, which is just reflection on the qualities of a Tirthankar. And you're supposed to be doing that when you perform pujas anyway. So as we discussed, the puja materials are flowers, water, flame, and fruits. So... Of course, the first thing that should come to your mind is, well, to collect these things or to make these things is himsa, right? It does cause violence to flowers, which are living things, flame, which is a living thing that we learned, of course, fruit and uh, water, which is a living thing that we learned. So very spiritual people or ascetics do not perform rituals with those items. However, the dravya puja that we do is meant for lay people. So we can best understand it as a stepping stone, that we can use it to make the transfer from a social life, a layperson life, to a purely religious life. It's a transition. We can use it to make the transition. It's a stepping stone. Once you don't need it anymore, it's important that you don't use these items anymore. But of course, uh, we're all lay people at the temple. Um, and so that's why at the temple we see everybody using these items, even though it is Hinsa to use these items. Questions or comments on any of that? Okay, so let's get right into it. So we'll be talking about Ashta Prakari Puja, which means the eightfold worship. So we're going to talk about Puja with eight types of items. Or offerings and each offering is a symbolic representation of the virtues that we wish to acquire to improve our spiritual life so the first is worship with water so I'll be reading you a translation of the sutras that we do for each of these eight types of worship and then we'll talk about the symbolism of the different types of offering so the first one is water 
My soul, a kalyash made of knowledge, I fill with the water of equanimity, and as I bathe the arihant, my karmas are washed away. So in this puja, we bathe the arihant with water. And so, of course, this reminds us of Nirjara, right? We're supposed to, as we, um, as we bathe the arihant, we're supposed to be reminded that our life, the purpose of our life, the benefit of being born human is to perform nirdra and wash away our own karma. So the symbolism, a kalyash is a small pitcher of water and the pitcher represents knowledge and equanim- the water represents equanimity. So as I bathe the idol of the arihanth, I pray that the impurities of my own karma are washed away from my soul. That is, the knowledge or the water that I have, I use the knowledge that I have to perform nirdra. So the water also symbolizes the ocean. That is, every living being continuously travels through the ocean of birth, life, and death. So this puja reminds us that we should live life as pure as water, with honesty, truthfulness, love, and compassion toward all living beings. That way, we'll be able to cross life's ocean and obtain liberation. So that's a lot to think about, right? I mean, so when we perform it in the temple, and when you see people performing uh, bathing the idol in the temple, are they thinking about that? It seems like we're going too fast for to be thinking about that properly, to be thinking about being peaceful, equanimous, in harmony, how to perform more nirdra in our life, how we're using the knowledge to bathe the arihant, and how we should use our own knowledge to wash away our karma. I mean, it's, it's very beautiful, it's very powerful language, but are we thinking about that when we perform it? So... This, this puja might easily take you, you know, five to ten minutes. And a lot of us can't even, you know, meditate for ten minutes. But this, this puja will help you meditate for that long, right? Will help you pray for that long. So questions about uh, worship with water. Okay, let's go into the next one. We're discussing pujas today for those of you that just joined and how you need pujas in your life and how we often misunderstand them. And we're going to be specifically discussing the symbolism with each of the pujas. That is, what is your what are you supposed to think of while you're performing the puja? So let's go to the second one, worship with sandalwood paste. So we prepare the paste and we use the ring finger of the right hand for chandan puja. So the fingernail shouldn't touch the murti. And you shouldn't apply the sandalwood paste um, to the palm or any other parts of the body except these nine parts of the body. The right toe and then the left toe. The right knee, then the left knee. The right center of the arm, then the left center of the arm. The right shoulder, then the left shoulder. The center of the top of the head. The center of the forehead. The center of the throat. The center of the chest. And then lastly, the navel. So here's the translation of the sutra that we're supposed to sing while performing Chandan Puja. He whose face beams of the tranquility within, 
the one whose very nature is tranquil. To that Arihant I worship, to make my soul tranquil. All right, so what does that mean? So the Arihant is the supreme example of tranquility, and his face on the idol is also tranquil. So as we stand before the idol, we're supposed to remember that we're supposed to comport ourselves in that same manner. Now, there's a significance to each one of the places where you put the sandalwood paste. So for the toes. O Arihant, you've traveled great distances by foot to preach to the ignorant souls and show them the right path of life. I therefore worship your feet. I wish for that kind of strength so that I can also bring righteousness to others and myself. So while you're touching the toes of the Haryanth, you're supposed to remember what he did with his toes, how he traveled, and you aspire to that yourself. So with the knees, next. With the help of these knees, you stood motionless in meditation for days and achieved omniscience. By worshiping your knees, I wish to find the strength to meditate. So similar to the toes. Next, the forearms. Even though you had all the amenities and riches, you gave away everything with these hands to realize your true self and to show the right path to mankind. All living beings were safe at your hands and you promised them safety. By worshiping your forearm, I wish I do not get attached to material wealth and I promise nonviolence towards all living things. Shoulders. Even though you possessed the strength, you never misused it and had pride. Your strength also carried the burden of saving others. Likewise, I wish I never become proud and I am able to carry my responsibilities. So you're supposed to think about these things when you're touching the shoulders of the idol. Next, the head. Bhagavan, you are always absorbed in self-realization and in the betterment of all living beings. I wish to have the ability to think about the well-being of others. Siddhasila is located at the top of the universe. By worshipping the head, I wish to reach Siddhasila. Next, the forehead. The Tirthankar radiates unconditional compassion and love to all living beings in the three worlds, and hence all three worlds pray to the Tirthankar. Who, remember, who remembers what the three worlds are? Okay, the three worlds are the heavenly world, the hellish world, and the uh, world in which we live in, which lies in between those. So you're supposed to think about those three worlds as you go to, uh, as you touch the forehead of the idol. You are the crown jewel of the three worlds. You are able to endure pleasure and pain equally. Wor worshiping your forehead will bring those good qualities to me. Now, when you touch the throat of the idol with the sandalwood paste. With your sweet and soothing sermon, you touch so many lives and help them to realize their own true nature. Let my speech work for the good of others. So we're supposed to remember about how speech is one of the three most important things we can do along with thoughts and actions. And by touching the throat of the idol, 
we're supposed to remember to be careful with our speech in our life. Next, the heart. Your heart is full of friendship, compassion, and mercy. Likewise, I wish my heart be full of these virtues. And finally, the navel. The navel is the center of concentration of the mind during meditation. I wish to attain the highest form of meditation to realize the self as you did. I wish for that strength by worshiping your navel. So you can see how this puja could easily take you 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes, if you thought about these things and you thought about how they applied to your life. But when we do them, it doesn't take that long. Uh, it takes a minute because we perform the actions, which is great, but we don't reflect on these things when we perform the puja. And so, okay, let's say we're. this is only the second one we've talked about, right? We've talked about water and we've talked about sandalwood paste. So that's that could be 20 minutes, 25 minutes right there. I mean... I can't sit and meditate for 25 minutes without an, without some other thought or without losing myself in a train of thought that I wasn't supposed to be on and then recentering myself. I mean, I, I don't think that most most of us can. So just we talked about two out of the eight and that's 20 minutes right there. So when I say that you can do 10 times the sumver you're doing right now, that's not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. Um, you can do 10 times the summer you're doing right now in your life every day. And what will help you do that? It's puja, which most of us consider an afterthought or most of us consider something for other people. But I'm trying to tell you that you need puja in your life right now. And so hopefully after, we're dis after we get done discussing this, you'll um, set up a little station in your house since we're home a lot. And you'll try these things and you'll try to meditate on these things and you'll try to do these pujas and think about these things while we do them. And um, we can each better our life in that respect. So questions about puja with sandalwood paste. Certainly. So you, you, you probably get two minutes to do a puja. 
So you, I, I don't think everybody's going through that power like you mentioned, which we should. But I think it's, it's so ingrained in people's life. Uh, even I, I wish I could go to Jaindirasa uh, today, uh, not every day, but just Sunday and do puja. I wish I could do that. So I think uh, it, uh, I, now the next level could be, like you said, it's first to do something and then do something with the power. Uh, and time, I don't know if I would ever spend 20 minutes or allow to, in a way, the practical sense, unless I do it at home by myself in a room, which, like you said, it's going to be hard to do that uh, for and continuously have the, the mind engaged. I think that will be the challenge. That's the meditation piece. But I think just by doing it, and it's hard to express uh, in words, but by just by doing puja, you, you feel uh, peace. You feel, I, I feel peace. I feel that I have done something positive. I have done some karma because even if it's going to Dera will 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 require, you know, I'll have some uh, I'll do some some path if I go to Dera by driving the car and walking and so on and so forth. But even after that, the feeling that uh, I get is peaceful and happiness, which uh, it's hard to describe, but anyways, that, that's what I, I, I mean, people in India is struggling, the most people are fighting, uh, my uncle is in a di- uh, lives in a different building, and our building has, Deiras uh, in our building, and he would like to come over and do the puja, and, and the building is not allowing it, it's just something is so important to people, uh, uh, especially in India, who are doing it on routine every day, they just, it's hard for them to imagine to, to, to start their day without doing the puja. Certainly, yeah, and you've just you brought up quite a few concepts. Certainly, uh, certainly, we want to be mindful of other people's times and share resources at the temple. So, if we'd like to take more time, then perhaps we can go at not busy time, or perhaps set up a station at home. And a station doesn't have to be at home when you set one up. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be expensive. You certainly don't have to have an idol to perform these things. And um, also, we've we've talked about in this class before that, yes, we should do something with the mind engaged while we're doing it, but we teach our kids to just do it and then understand the significance as we're doing it or as later. I mean, we certainly tell them, but it's hard. You know, it's easier for kids to memorize, oh, I do the right foot, left foot, right hand, left hand. So they certainly do that. And then after we have them memorize the actions, then we try to stuff it with meaning. That's definitely a, a very great point. Hey, Timir, just, you said something I want to ask. Sure. When you refer to the word puja, does it mean you've got to have an idol? Um, second part question is more in terms of along the lines of classes who don't necessarily do puja but do all the prayers, right? Right. So does sambar mean for have to have an idol or it's just the concept of doing the prayers? So certainly not. You do not have to have an idol to do a puja, although the things, some of the things we're talking about you do. It's absolutely not necessary to have an idol. Um, second, the reason that uh, we do a puja um, is because the actions will remind us to pay attention to what we're supposed to be paying attention about. And so it helps to perform the actions of, for example, presenting a flame or, for example, presenting an incense or something like that. 
And as we'll learn later, like with rice and sweets and things like that. Um, and you had another question in there. Could you repeat that, please? No, that was just in, in a sense of, you know, Stanik Vasis, they don't uh, do idol worship, right? Right. Uh, but they do prayers and uh, everything else. So, I mean, what I was saying, if when you were saying somewhere, or doing puja gives you 10 times them somewhere. But when I hear the word puja, I always think of with idol. Right. I, I don't put uh, puja with the word just prayer. If, I, if I'm just doing prayers, I, I keep mm -hmm. two separate. My definition is two separate. Okay. Prayers is one, and puja is the actual with idol and doing the flowers, rice, the flame, and all those other things. Okay, I understand. And so let's say um, you, you don't do any of that, and you just perform the prayers. Well, that serves the point too. That serves the summer point as well. That is... If you do the prayers, I can certainly pray for longer than I can meditate. So I'm getting the same benefits, even though I don't incorporate the material things. And so I, I think that it will help you if you just perform the prayers. Okay. So next, uh, worship with flowers. So here's the translation of the sutra that we say when we worship with flowers. Perfumed, a flower in full bloom I hold. For this puja, which destroys the misery of birth, just as a bee hovers around the flower, to be around you always, I ask that samyatva be imprinted upon me. So what is the symbolism of the flower? We should live our life like flowers full of love and compassion toward all living beings. By offering fragrant and unbroken flowers to the Arihant, we reflect upon living our life like a flower. The flower symbolizes conduct. Our conduct should be like a flower, which provides fragrance and beauty to all living beings without discrimination. Okay, so let's go on to worship with incense. Here's what the sutra means that we say when we worship with incense. Meditation illuminates the dense darkness. Just as I offer the incense before the beautiful eyes of the jina, driving away the bad smell of wrong faith, the innate nature of the soul emerges. So what's the symbolism of the incense or dup? By placing the dup on the left side of the idol, we initiate upward meditation to destroy the bad odor of mityatva or false faith and manifest our pure soul. Just as the smoke of the incense goes upwards, we should begin our spiritual journey leading to the top of the universe above Siddhasila. So remember we talked about in the last class or two classes ago that the nature of the soul upon leaving the body is to immediately go towards Siddhasila, but it is our karma that bends it downward into the next body. So the smoke of the incense is supposed to remind you of the nature of your soul in that respect. Just as the incense removes the bad odor, we should remove our false faith. That is, Mityatva is like a bad smell that permeates our entire life. And the incense removes that bad smell 
and we should be reminded to remove it from our life. Incense also symbolizes an ascetic life. While burning itself, the, fra- the incense provides fragrance to others. So similarly, true monks and nuns spend their entire life selflessly for the benefit of all living beings. Just like the incense. So this puja reminds us to thrive for an ascetic life which ultimately leads to liberation. That is, we're supposed to be reminded of the people that selflessly work to help us with our own faith because the incense burns itself. So questions about worship with flowers or worship with incense? Okay, let's move to the next one. Worship. Uh, yes. I have a, a question on, on flower. Um, it comes up often, or it has, um, that you know, if we do flower puja, uh, is it more harm because you are plucking the flower? Um, isn't that a hinsa? Absolutely. Yes, it is hinsa, and yes, you should stop doing it whenever you feel comfortable that you know the meaning of the puja and that you will continue to do it. We perform himsa as a stepping stone towards a more religious life. And when you're comfortable getting rid of it because you're worried about the himsa that you're doing in using the flowers, you should absolutely get rid of it. Other questions? Yeah, that's, that's good. Okay, great. Other questions about using flowers or incense? So on your question on the flower, what if there are already petals that fell off? You're not necessarily plucking them. Well, that's certainly better, right? Um, that is exactly what the story of the the men and the mango trees are. Who knows the stories of the men and the mango trees? Okay, so quickly, this story is used to describe how people think and how you can transform your thinking by living a more spiritual life. There are many gentlemen and they want mangoes from the tree because they're hungry. The first gentleman said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut down the tree. The second gentleman said, well, I don't know why you're going to do that. We can only just cut down the branches of the tree. And the third gentleman said, well, why are you going to do that? I'm just going to cut down the small branches of the tree to get the mangoes. And the fourth gentleman says, I don't know why you guys thought of that. I'm just going to pick the mangoes from the tree. And the fifth gentleman said, well, I don't know why you guys thought of that. I'm just going to take the mangoes from the ground. So certainly, if you use the petals that have already fallen from the flowers, that is better. Any other questions or comments about worship with flowers or worship with incense? Okay, let's move on to worship with flame or Deepak. Obviously, the symbolism is going to be pretty good here. Here's the sutra. Like a lamp, help us distinguish between good and bad. To avoid sorrow in this world, and one day, my internal lamp of knowledge will illuminate the entire universe. Okay, very good, very powerful imagery. I like that one. So the flame represents a pure consciousness or a soul without any bondage. That is, when you look into the light, remember, 
That is your soul. A liberated soul. When we light the lamp in the right manner, our miseries get destroyed. And as a result, we get knowledge in the form of Gevaldyan, which illuminates the entire universe. That is, your soul, remember the characteristic of your soul is to have Gevaldyan. And that Gevaldyan, like a light, illuminates everything. The light symbolizes knowledge. Deepak Puja is offered to destroy the darkness of ignorance and false belief. The ultimate goal of every living being is to be liberated from karma. And to be liberated, one needs to be free from all vices such as anger, e- greed, ego, deceit, attachment, hatred, and lust. And by doing this puja, we should strive to, strive to follow the five great vows, non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, um, non-attachment, and celibacy. Ultimately, proper conduct coupled with right faith and knowledge will lead to liberation. So, I mean, what I just described to you is basically all of Jainism, right? So, all you're supposed to think about all of Jainism when you do this puja with the flame. So, there's quite a bit to think about, and I think that's one of the reasons that this flame puja is the most popular and it's the, the easiest to perform. Okay, let's go to worship with rice. Here's the translation of the sutra. Pure, unbroken akshat I hold, and draw this large nandavarta in the presence of my Lord. I wish all my worldliness will destroy indefinitely. <clears throat> so akshat means rice. And the symbolism of the rice is by offering pure and unbroken rice grains in the form of Nandavarta, we meditate in front of the Arihant, keeping all of our worldly attachments away. So, okay, we're specifically talking about attachments here, as opposed to the flame one when really we were talking about everything. The rice grain without the husk, called Akshat, is a kind of grain that does not germinate. You, one cannot grow rice plants by seeding Akshat. It symbolizes the last birth. By doing this puja, we should strive that this life be our last life and that we will be liberated and not born again. That is, remember, before liberation, the last life is always a human life. And that might mean it's this life for you. And that might mean you're very close to your goal. And all you need to do is to work a little bit harder at Nirjara to achieve your goal in this life. So questions or comments about worship with rice or worship with flame? Okay, doing great so far. We just got two more. Worship with sweets. Here's the translation of the sutra. Many a times I have gone hungry. O pure one, without a trace of desire, do satiate me eternally. So what is the symbolism of the sweets? In the course of the cycle of birth and death, I have remained hungry many times, but that was transitory. Arihant, give me the permanent state where there is no desire for food. Remember, we talked last time about how desires enslave us. And remember we talked that talked about that being the right word. That is, we are in bondage to our desires. 
The sweets symbolize tasty food. By doing this puja, one should strive to reduce or eliminate attachment to tasty food. Healthy food is essential for survival. However, one should not live to eat tasty foods. Remember when we sponsored lunch? That was our message. That food should be fuel. Food should be the energy that you need. It shouldn't be about pleasing the tongue. The ultimate aim in one's life is to attain a state where no food is essential for one's existence. And that life is liberation. The souls that reside in moksha forever. Questions about worship with sweets. So you can, if you don't like sweets, then you can substitute anything. But of course, very traditionally, um, we use sweets. People might look at you sideways if you put french fries in front of the uh, murti. So I, I didn't get it. Why does it have to be sweet? I'm not saying french fries, but why does it have to be sweet if you're referring to just food as fuel? That, that represents sweets. That represents tasty food, which we're supposed to avoid. Did that answer your question? No, I'm still confused. So I'm using sweets to liberate myself, to avoid. Oh, okay. So here's the difference, right? So in all of our previous ones, the sim- symbolism was something that we wanted to be. We want to. Be, we are the flame. We are the rice. Here, we're not the sweets. Um, we don't want to be the sweets. We want to avoid the sweets. I'm giving you this. I'm not taking it because I realize that food is fuel. And so the symbolism is not a positive symbolism, but maybe in your mind you can think of it like a negative symbolism. That's how this one is different. Okay. Any other questions about worship with sweets? Okay. So thank you everybody for... Playing along here, we are in our last one, Worship with Fruits. Here's the translation. Just as Indra and other devas, out of their extreme love for you, I bring along fruits to worship upon meeting you, O Supreme Soul. I renounce worldly aspirations and desire only moksha as the fruit of all my actions. So here's the symbolism of the fruit. Heavenly gods bring fruits with devotion and request for their liberation, the ultimate fruit. Uh, so, I don't know, I disagree with this. We just talked about it at the beginning, right? We're not offering something with some specific request. We're just showing that, we're just showing the symbolism and we're, med- we're thinking about the symbolism. Fruit is a symbol of moksha or liberation. If we live our life without any attachment to worldly affairs, continue to perform our duties without any expectation of rewards, truly follow an ascetic life, have love and compassion toward all living beings, we will attain the fruit of liberation. This last puja symbolizes the ultimate achievement in our life. The main purpose of the puja is that by reciting the virtues of the Tirthankar, we remind ourselves that we also have the same virtues. Because just like there is a soul in the Tirthankar, that same type of soul is within me. That is, the same, a soul with the same characteristics. And by taking the path of the Tirthankars, we can also achieve Nirvana. So questions about worship with fruit.
or questions about worship with any of the ones we discussed. Worship with water, sandalwood paste, flowers, incense, flame, rice, sweets, and fruits. So if it takes us an hour to just talk about this, it'll take us more to think about these things while we're doing it. And, you know, I'm sorry if I'm beating a dead horse here, but I'm trying to trying to get through to people that think, oh, it's not for me, or, you know, it's not something I do, or it's something that other people do. No, this should be something that we do. This should be something that you do at home, because you can't spend an hour meditating, but you can spend an hour doing this, and that will be 10 times the amount of summer you're doing now. So questions about any of the types of puja we discuss. And we didn't discuss all the types of puja. There are many, many more types. But these are the basic types that, especially you'll see people at the temple do. Um, these are the basic types and why we do them. And more importantly, what we should be thinking about when we do them. So Timur, um, one of the comments I have is similar to kind of what we went through today was the objective of the shivir that uh, we were trying to put together and go over uh, Anga Puja and Agra Puja uh, as, as you talked about it, when where we touch idol, it's Anga Puja and Agra Puja is like uh, the Tu Puja or Deepa Puja, uh, Satyu and things like that. So. Uh, honestly, I, I'll tell you, I, I as, as growing up as a kid, I've done puja, but I did not know the meaning because I think I've chosen that. I, I just kept doing it and never uh, went to Marat Sahib or somebody to explain me the puja. I never asked a question until I came here and, and started learning about it. So I think it, it makes a big difference. I think the question comes up is why do we need to do idol worship or anything like that? And I think the simple message I took away from, from the discussion today is uh, well, once we get to a stage like Marathsayan, who doesn't need idol? In fact, Marathsayan doesn't even touch idol. They don't touch food, they don't touch sweets, they don't do anything of that because they have achieved, or at least they have gone to a next level. So, I, the way I think about it, uh, I think it does help, and it has helped me as a child, and it has helped me now, even at this stage, to be able to focus and feel good about something I've done. If anybody can do this meditation or feeling of happiness of even a fraction of the tranquility that they have achieved without idol, I think it's it's great. But I think it helps me personally to do it. And that's why I do it and then I look forward to it. Absolutely. Knowing the meaning, knowing the, I think it, it like the way you explained about the uh, Chokai and things like that, I think uh, it's symbolic and a meaning. And I think we should take, we should use the same Sometimes I myself, I've, I've questioned the flowers, I have done those things. And um, that becomes, uh, you know, we question more things when it comes to religion. And when it comes to doing things, okay, why do we offer sweets, in or something like that. But we don't do, we don't question that on our personal side. Because, uh, we, because that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, when it comes to the dharam, we, we, we question a lot. And I, I have learned to, to, by, by by explanation of, of this sort, uh, and you explain the full puja you know in a good manner that if you don't need it, don't do it. But let's get to that stage. Right, exactly. And I understand people 
want some bright lines and there's a gray area here. So I'm gonna give you a bright line, okay? If any one of you can meditate for an hour without straying into unnecessary thoughts for too much, for too much time, then it's time for you to step away from puja and just do that. If you can't meditate for an hour, then you need puja in your life. And that will get you to the place where you can meditate for an hour. So that's a very nice bright line that I think will help a lot of people. That is, once you're good enough to do that, then you're good enough to leave the flowers, leave the sweets, leave the rice, leave all that behind. Um, but if you were not good enough yet, then I implore you to make your station at home and to try some of these things um, because that will get you to an hour of summer. Any other questions or comments? No, I think it was an excellent discussion today. Uh, just talking about this and putting things in perspective and the way uh, you concluded it, uh, I think it makes sense. So thanks for that. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for coming today. I really appreciate that. And um, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.